are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Where Your Treasure Is. This is a podcast where we like to dig into what does it mean to bring faith and finance together and how can we seek to follow God and manage our money in a financially sound way, which is a pretty tricky balance to get right as we're discovering through our conversations. I'm here with Simon and we are going to be continuing our series on money according to the Bible. So Simon, where are we today in the Bible? Well, Bex, we are coming to the end of the Old Testament and we are going to talk about money according to the prophets and all of the prophets. We're not going to break it into major and minor prophets and long books and short books. We're going to look at the whole lot all together and see what they have to tell us. Or, to be honest, to tell the people of Israel, because that's really who they were writing to at the time, and maybe what we can draw out of their teachings. And so you could say we're covering the whole scale of prophets today. (laughs) I was quite proud of that one. Prophets, but not prophets with an F. Thank you very much. So, Bex, who is in our literary list today? Who isn't in our literary list today? It's a long one. We have... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. I haven't looked at this, but I'm guessing this spans hundreds of years of Israel's, not quite history, is it, but when these writings were put to scroll, papyrus? not really paper. Anyway, so we have this breadth and possibly depth of teachings about money. Bex, where shall we start today? Well, I would like to pick up on a theme that we have seen repeatedly so far throughout the Old Testament, which is the sense that everything belongs to God. And so we see that again in Haggai 2, verse 8, where it says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And in Jeremiah 27, verse 5, where it says, With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I will give to anyone I please. And what I think is really interesting about this, without dwelling on it too much, because I know we've had these conversations in previous episodes, is just that repeated theme of God's lordship, of his sovereignty, of the fact that he has created everything and owns everything, and that our response to that is to be co-rulers with him as we see in Genesis and to steward that really well. I want to raise a wee red flag at this point Bex because I think we are potentially running into some dangerous territory here. What we've been doing for the last three episodes and will continue to do is pull verses out of the Bible possibly whole sections and try and build some kind of financial context and biblical context around them. But let me show you how that might go wrong. We've just read Jeremiah 27. The Lord says, I will give to anyone I please. And I'm going to claim that verse, Bex, today. I'm also going to claim this next one from Isaiah 45. It's verse 3. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. And that could be a verse for life. I claim those hidden treasures. That sounds great. It does sound great. 
if God was saying it to us, but he isn't. Who is he saying it to? You see, in this moment in Isaiah, the Lord is telling Isaiah to give a message to Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of Persia. Um, We're going to come across Cyrus later on again, actually. But in this moment, he's about to invade and take over Israel and possibly send them all off to one of the many periods of exile that they go through during this stage in their history. And so God has actually chosen a pagan king. And he's saying to this pagan king, I'm going to give you treasure and riches. You're going to subdue the world because I'm going to teach Israel a lesson through you. So we need to be really careful. Not are we just reading individual verses out of context. We're putting them into the context in which they were originally written. We're considering the co-text, the writings around and about them. So we're getting them in the right context. And then interpreting them in the light of what maybe God is saying to us today and through this podcast. And that's just a really helpful reminder for how to interpret scripture in general, whether it's specifically about money or not. And so I guess to put the prophets in a little bit of context, a lot of what we see through the prophets are the consequences of Israel's faithfulness or unfaithfulness as the case may be. So often they are proclaiming doom, they're proclaiming hardship if people don't follow what God is saying or it's actually facing the consequences of having not followed God. And at the same time, we've got the prophets looking forward both to Jesus and eventually to eternity where all things will be made right. So that's the situation in history that we find ourselves in. Simon, where do you want to take us to next in the prophets? Well, I want to dip in and out of the prophets and see if there's any continuing theme. And we do see the doom and gloom regularly. We see God telling Israel, if you don't follow my commands, if you don't repent, if you don't give your hearts to me, then things are going to go badly. Let me give you an example. Amos 8. It's this moment where God gives Amos a picture, a basket of ripe fruit. And then God says to him, the time is ripe for my people Israel. Oh, ripeness is great. We love ripe fruit. Uh Uh-uh. I will spare them no longer, says the Lord. In that day, their songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Oh, dear. Anyway, you get on to the bit about money and stuff. He says this. When will the new moon be over, they say, that we may sell grain And when will the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? You see, the people at the time were so caught up in making profit, in trade, in selling stuff, that they wanted to get quickly through the festivals and the sacred days that God asked the people to build into the rhythm of their life. Money and trade and profit with an F had become more important than hearing the prophets with a PH warning them about the destination that they were going towards because of the way they were living their lives and their relationship towards money amidst their relationship with God. And it's not just that that Amos is talking about in that passage either, but he goes on to talk about skimping on the measure, boosting prices, cheating with dishonest scales, and really, all in all, ripping off the needy and the poor most of all. And so again, this feels like a recurring theme throughout the Old Testament so far, that one day we are going to be held accountable for our actions, that we will have to answer to the creator of everything 
for all that we've done with what he's entrusted to us. And this isn't just about the physical resources that we have, but also about the way we treat people and the way we approach money. And it feels like time and time again, the theme of integrity and what we're doing when nobody's looking is so important in the Old Testament. Let's then continue with that theme. I think it's a really good one for us to talk about this week, this episode, that God sees what we do for good and for bad and somehow in a just way rewards us for our good actions or there are consequences for our poor actions. We have to be careful here not to associate those two things too closely together. We might fall into some kind of prosperity gospel, but let's pull some more verses out and and see where they take us. There's one here that people will know probably pretty well. When it comes to an exhortation around what we should do with our money. And it comes from Malachi 3, and I'll read a bit out to you. It says this, in Malachi 3 verse 7, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me, you have turned away from my decrees, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes, and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Wow. What an exhortation. What do you take of that, Bex? Well, I think it's really interesting because, again, it's about context. I think it's really easy to just focus on the part that says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room to store it. And often we can rely on that and say, well, God's going to provide all of this. But what comes before that is bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. And so there's a sense that in this particular passage, God's generosity and abundance is predicated on us bringing our whole and complete offering to God and actually looking out for the people who have less than us and ensuring that they are accounted for. And we come back again to this idea of obedience. We've established God doesn't need what it is we're giving him. He already has everything he needs. He is the one who blesses us abundantly. But obedience, especially obedience in matters of money, because we hear time and time again, money is the thing that can take our attention away from God and serving him. And when he calls us to do something, whatever it is, for these guys, it was bring me your tithes, bring me your offerings, bring them all, bring good first fruits. Don't bring me lambs with broken legs or blemishes. I want perfection from you. I want the best of what you have. And it wasn't simply a case of if you do that, then God will bless. But it was certainly a test. Are you able to put me before your own wealth and possessions? But it's not just about money, is it, Bex? There's more that God also calls us to be generous and obedient with. Absolutely. One of the things that struck me as we were going through these passages was the way Daniel works in his very secular workplace. So for a little bit of background information... Daniel is living in exile in Babylon in a place that had no time 
for God. They had lots of different gods who they were far more interested in. And so Daniel has a choice multiple times throughout his book as to how he's going to respond to the pressure that he's under to conform to bow down to other gods, but also how he's going to use the skills and talents that God has given him. So Simon, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of Daniel? Well, let's start with Daniel under his first king. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is a bit cheeky. He has a dream and he calls all the experts in, the magicians and the wise men. He says, tell me my dream. And they said, we will. What was the dream? No, no, I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. Just tell me what it meant. Oh, no one can do that, oh, great king. Say them all. But Daniel says, ah, well, God can. And God does. And Daniel correctly reveals and interprets the dream. And then, in Daniel 2.48, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. And then Daniel also requests that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego become administrators over some of the provinces of Babylon. So in that moment, Daniel is using the wisdom and skill that God has granted him to serve a very ungodly king. He is rewarded in so doing. There's no promise we see in Daniel. Daniel, if you are obedient to me, I will put you in high position. He just does what he thinks is right. And God places him in a position of authority from which he can then help others out. In this case, his three chums, who also get into positions of authority. And we see later in the book, more good comes from that. But this wasn't the only king that Daniel served under. So after Nebuchadnezzar came his son, King Belshazzar, or Belshazzar. Bex, what did Daniel do under King Belshazzar? So this is a particularly interesting one because it's a bit of an odd circumstance in which Daniel has a position to speak from. In the king's court, there is suddenly this human hand that appears and it puts some writing on a wall. And understandably, the king is concerned about this, he's panicked about it, and he's trying to work out what this writing means. And so the story continues in Daniel 5, in verse 15. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. And so... The king is looking for an explanation. He's looking to find out what this writing means. He's heard that Daniel has managed to do this before with the secret dream and he's asking for an interpretation. And he promises that if Daniel interprets it correctly, he will lavish him with gold and with gifts and give him even higher status of the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But what's particularly interesting is Daniel's answer in verse 17 where he says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And isn't that just such a challenging response? Daniel has full confidence that God will give him the wisdom and skill to interpret what this writing means, but he's not interested in the earthly reward. I think for lots of us, myself included, the allure of money, of having even more influence, of having authority would be really attractive. But actually, Daniel chooses to reject money in that moment and to keep focused on where God has placed him in that moment. 
And it's not the only time in the Bible we see this happening where people turn down money. There's a sense in which we don't want to be seen to be profiteering from doing God's will or serving him or sharing wisdom that God has provided us. But it's quite rare we see examples in reality of people who say, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing it because it's right. Keep your money. I don't need it. God is providing for me in other ways. Now, actually, he was lavished gifts from the previous king, so maybe he had plenty from the first time round. Anyhow, let's move on and see if Daniel maintains his integrity in this very secular workplace under the third king, King Darius. And Darius also has a dream. But this time, at least he says what the dream is and lets various people attempt to interpret it. But we know in this story that the people who are supposed to be the wise men working under King Darius, they get a bit miffed at Daniel. Daniel's getting all the favor and all the glory and they try and trap him. And it appears that because of this attitude where he's not fussed about money, he can't be bribed, he can't be bought... Finally, these wise men say in Daniel 6, verse 5, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. His integrity was so great that people knew he prayed, what was it, three times every day, opening the window wide, and they knew that nothing else could be done to trap this guy unless they could fool the king, create a law, that made it illegal for Daniel to behave the way he did. I have such huge respect for Daniel and the way he worked. He worked hard, he employed wisdom and diligence, he served despite not being in the place that maybe he thought he should be. He wasn't serving a godly king, he wasn't in his own land, he was where God had put him and he worked and he served God in his own way whilst serving others. And what I love about Daniel, but also Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, is that they didn't know at the time that God was going to protect them or deliver them in the way that God does. They didn't have a wee sneak peek to the end page, but they were just faithfully putting one foot in front of the other. And one of my favourite bits of the Bible is just before Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fire. They say, we believe God is going to deliver us from this. And even if he doesn't, we will still choose to worship and praise him. And isn't that such a challenging thought in our own workplaces? What does it look like to follow God and to have that boldness to say, I'm going to make this decision for this reason. And even if things don't go the way I would like them to, I'm still going to follow God in that. Well, having talked about that cheery subject of we might all die if we follow the Lord, (laughs) let's wrap things up with one more verse. It's taken in a very specific context here, but you'll see where I'm going to. And and the practicality, it comes out of Isaiah 38 and King Hezekiah was ill. He was at the point of death. And then the prophet Isaiah, it says this in Isaiah 34 verse 1, the prophet Isaiah, son of Abel's, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Now we all know full well that shy of the Lord returning, first of all, we're all going to die someday. And death is difficult for all of us. It is emotional. It matters. It's people we care about. But in my context here, there are also many practical issues that surround death when it comes to 
matters of finance, matters of money and property and wealth and possessions. And here is God saying, you can do it well. You can end well, not just faithfully, but you can also end in an organized manner. And my last little exhortation would be, really, no matter how old we are, we can try and arrange our affairs in such a way that makes it easier for those that come after us. And I have certainly known very awkward situations where people have chosen pretty much to ignore the fact that they're mortal. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to spend their money organizing it well, for example, with wills and powers of attorney. But a classic example I came across was with a particular gentleman who prepared a will and then gave the will to his solicitor and said to his solicitor, I don't want you to open this will and read it to my family until after the funeral. And that was fine. The solicitor did that. So the family all gather around. They've had the cremation. They have scattered his ashes. They gather around. They open his will and his will says, please don't cremate me. I want to be buried. What? You've just told us this and we have just cremated you. It was a bit awkward. Clearly, he had not put his house in order. So, flippant though it is, serious matter. The Lord suggests we can prepare ourselves, yes, for being with him in heaven, but also for those that we leave behind on earth. Practical way to end money according to the prophet's specs. Wonderful. It's really good to have a whole bunch of practical things in the mix of the deep principles as well. So next time we are going to be moving out of the Old Testament and into the new. And we're going to be looking at money according to Jesus, because that seems like a very good place to start in the New Testament. I'm anticipating a shift of gear as we hear what the Gospels say about money. And many of these verses and principles be well known to us. We might have to cut ourselves short and focus on the key ones, Beck, so we're not here for a very, very long episode. So looking forward to seeing you again next time. And listeners, if you've got any comments or thoughts you'd like to throw at us, please do so through the usual channels. And all being well, we will have you listening to the next episode of the Where Your Treasure Is podcast. Goodbye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go. 